0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. My name is Shad. I'm joined by Matt and Brad. And uh, we're going to be in the Three Corners. You'll be in the Fourth with us tonight. We hope you have a good time. We do have to get a very important order of business out of the way. A shout-out that we always make sure to get done. Right, Matt?
1: That's right. Hi, everyone. This is Matt. I'm um, giving a shout-out to Epico cologne um, I, have, uh, I have actually this... This week I have a great idea for Epico. I'm kind of harkening back to previous podcasts that we've done. Um, I'm going to work on rewriting the script for Ready to Rumble, <laughs> <laughs> um, starring Epico. It's an updated version, obviously, because I mean, it's, it's been like almost 20 years since that fine movie came out, so
2: what, it's uh, time for <laughs> what, what, Epico. What, do yeah, she, what douchey what um unfunny comedian is going to take over David Arquette's role?
1: Uh, oh, that's a good question. Because we're but, about, uh,
2: cause if it was 10 years ago, we could have mm-hmm. used Johnny Knoxville, but that's a little dated now, isn't it?
0: We could have used Dane Cook, too. Ooh, that's um,
2: a good
1: one. I'll go, uh, I'll go like topical. Uh, who's the one douche from Silicon Valley? Um, maybe I'll go Kamal Nanjami. Probably pronouncing that wrong. He's in the news a lot, right?
2: I don't... I'm, you're gonna have to forgive me. I'm not very up on the uh, oh, okay. culture these days.
1: All right. Well, maybe him. Um, I'm thinking for the Oliver Platt character. Maybe we get Kevin James. He's uh, charismatic.
2: <laughs> I could go for the Kevin James one. I could see.
1: And you. and then we'll have Epico playing the uh, the wrestler that they recruit to to teach Kevin James how to how to work.
2: So we'd be ripping off Kevin James's MMA movie.
1: Yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, I think I believe I've heard maybe from Joe Rogan that Kevin James actually is like legit trained. Yeah, I in think Marshall. I
2: saw that too. Uh-huh.
0: I mean, he was on the the college, the high school wrestling team with Foley. Mm-hmm.
2: So oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about it that.
0: Wouldn't, wouldn't surprise
1: me if he he kept that up. In all seriousness, I actually could see Kevin James in a movie like this. I think he would actually probably have fun with it.
2: I think it'd probably be better than some of like the other dumb crap he's in.
1: Yeah, uh, you
0: know what? Oliver Platt has done some good stuff, but that was not the right fit for him. It just—it <laughs> just. I here's the here's the weirdest thing. I could see him working as a old, kind of over-the-hill wrestler type, but not in that, like, central protagonist role kind of thing.
2: I think we need to rewrite the sequel to get, like, some extra money. We'll use the Burger King king as, like, his manager.
1: Whoa! Some product placement? A
2: yeah, product I, didn't, placement I, I didn't
0: know we were going to be invoking... invoking hell on Earth here or something.
2: Well, I mean... Gee-o. He's a heel so that we can just have the creepy... Burger King, King, you know, <laughs> throwing hamburgers into the crowd.
0: Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So, Epico, we're working on a uh, yeah, Matt's working on a movie for you, and uh, I'm a big fan. I'd be happy to be a uh, producer because um, I don't think they do much, but uh, still, be fun to see, right? Okay, so subject for tonight. We did one of these a while back today, incidentally, is July 10th, 2018, so we're going to be doing another episode of What a Maneuver! I don't have a Vince, or I don't have an audio clip of Vince shouting that, Uh, so, you know, we're not going to blow out your car speakers by playing it, but What a Maneuver! Tonight, we are going to be talking about the Lariat. It's... Almost one of the most basic things you can see, but it can be just such a devastating uh, move to throw, depending on who it is and what they do. Now, there was a little while back, um, I think it was actually last week, that someone posted on Samoa Joe's Twitter asking for a clarification between a Lariat and a clothesline. And Joe's response was, you run into a clothesline, but a lariat runs into you. I thought that was a pretty good definition. So, we're going to go down the list of some notable people who've used lariats. And uh, I think tonight, Brad, why don't you start off with uh, one of your picks?
2: Well, um, last time we we had a concrete who invented the move, but I think... I think we all did some independent research on the topic and it's very murky like who actually invented it because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I could go back to like the Chicago archive on YouTube and and find guys using this move because it's pretty much just a clothesline variation. So I think we should just start off with the guy who for all intents and purposes popularized the move and that is Stan Hansen.
0: Oh, not not only popularized it but like named it. It was his name too.
1: You certainly the one who made it look like a a move you would never want to take at any point.
2: So <laughs>
1: in absolutely. like the existence in the existence of time you would never want to have be on the receiving end of a Lariat clothesline by Stan Hansen.
2: So funny story about that, um I was reading a book oh I think it was um I'll figure it out later, but I'm not one for shoot interviews because Matt and I have had this discussion in the past. I don't like when they talk about the almost sociopathic ribs that wrestlers like to pull on each other, and we're supposed to find it amusing. So I don't watch a lot of shoot interviews.
1: Yeah, those are always kind of weird. It's like, well, let me tell you a story from the good old days when I uh, when I shit a sandwich
2: and made him eat it and made his yeah when I.
1: When I killed a guy's dog and then fed it to him, and that was oh. what a rib that was, right? Yeah. I hey, remember that time that I shot that guy in the leg. That was yeah. a good rib, right? It's <laughs> like, no, this is like extraordinarily violent behavior.
2: Yeah. So um, I was reading this book. So the book is pretty much um, it's the guys from the Breaking Cave babe podcast. One of them wrote it. So I guess they went to dinner with these various legends. I think it's Dinner with Legends, Breaking Kayfabe by Jeff Bod- Bodron. So it's pretty much this book where this guy and his friends like get these wrestlers to have dinner with them, and they kind of interview them. So one thing I never realized about Stan Hansen is Stan Hansen works so snug because he's blind as a bat. I think
0: that was in Foley's first book as well. He mentioned that Stan Hansen was so nearsighted he couldn't see out there, so...
2: And and um the funny thing is that's the first time I heard it but then a couple other wrestlers that they went to dinner with would say, "Oh, you know Stan's blind as a bat when they talk about working with him." So
0: Yeah, um as big as Stan Hansen I guess was to have him come at you and swing like that is a scary proposition
2: he kind of just runs guys over
0: okay for wow um so stan hansen was billed at six foot four three twenty one um that means i'm about stan hansen's size but i don't i didn't have like the barrel torso that stan had um Wow, that's yeah, him just mowing you, that's that's a pretty scary proposition, I'll be
2: honest. So I was I was gonna ask you since you actually wrestled. Yeah. Um with the talk of him being like so nearsighted that he had to work so snug, my kind of reaction was, Oh, why didn't he wear contact lenses? So um as a wrestler, like, did guys wear contact lenses or did they kind of just wing it yeah. with
0: a lot of people wear contacts. Like I wear glasses. I'm, my eyesight's not really that bad. It's my eyesight gets kind of fuzzy at distance, and it's hard for me to read. I'm nearsighted, and you know, like small details get fuzzy. But I can see reasonably well. Um, well, sort of. So. I usually wore contacts, or if I didn't wear anything, I was all right. I could still see where everybody was and that sort of stuff. Um, like, I couldn't make out the faces of the people in the crowd, but I was like, oh, that dude who's wearing that shirt sitting there and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Most people wore contacts. Now, at the time when Hansen started working in Japan, I don't think soft contacts were a big thing
1: yet, were they? No, they were still
2: hard contacts.
1: Yeah, I don't think cause I, so. He re- retired in 2001. So yeah. I mean that at that, that point that that's like 17 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the soft contact lenses that most people wear nowadays, like I wear them, um, just about every day. Like it, they just did not exist. It was all the hard contact lenses that if you lost them, I mean you're, you're screwed. I mean if you lose a mm-hmm. soft one too, but it, 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 they are the ones now are a lot more breathable. There heard- it's all. It's, i it's had like,
2: soft in hold on i think when i wore contacts 97 i had softs but they weren't disposable i didn't have disposables until oh i gotta think 2002 maybe
1: yeah it was kind of past his time so oh. yeah it's just i don't think it's something that feasibly he could have used yeah probably at not. least in his heyday yeah
2: and yeah in comparison to shad I can see about eight inches in front of me before things just go to total fuzz
0: just come okay for for Hansen wearing glasses obviously wasn't an option and then you know being let's see would was Stan trained in Japan
2: no he started in um He started in like the south Hold on Uh,
0: Let's see here
2: He was big in Because remember he injured um, Bruno in the WWF in the 70s He was a big um, Georgia guy
0: Yeah in 75 He first teamed with Bruiser Brody In Leroy McGurk's tri-state territory And then Uh, in 76 Went to WWF
2: The Funks trained him (laughs)
0: <laughs> Boy, That's that just crazy. that that tells us a lot, doesn't it? Wow. Okay, so yeah, to watch Hanson go, because um, I've heard a, a shoot interview with him. He referred to, you know, how rough his style could be, and then I think it was in a, um, I think it was in a Cornet interview. Hey, he was telling a story about Austin Idol kind of got turned off working in Memphis because Lawler's working with Ventura in the main, and Ventura can't break an egg, but Austin Idol, who didn't like to be hit hard, is working with Hanson in the semi-main. You could see him shudder on the way to the ring. Uh, so, you know, it's um, just, you know, his reputation preceded him.
2: You know, I – um. Someone read an excerpt of his book. I think it was on the Lapsed Fan podcast. They read some excerpts from his books. And um, Hansen seems like a really thoughtful guy when it comes to his career in, like, wrestling.
0: He probably was very intentional with what he did.
2: Yeah, he talks about how he was in character. Like, when he went through those curtains, he was in character.
0: Mm. I've, I've done that. Um, yeah, I've absolutely done that. Okay, so with his lariat, which was either named for him or he took the name of because he because he was standing in the lariat Hansen, how would you guys describe witnessing that lariat hit someone?
2: Um, I think I saw a guy get hit by a car once and it was comparable.
0: Okay, Matt, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's like someone getting hit by a very large moving vehicle. the The funny thing is that he doesn't even he he wasn't uh, look. He's a big dude, um, I guess reasonably agile, but he's not you know running a track in the ring. So he didn't do like a whole big like run into the ropes and then plowing into the guy. Like oftentimes, Larry was just he was doing it from like maybe a six inch like lead in, but he would just throw his arm and it just looks like it decapitates the dude, and he's so goddamn big that <laughs> it just it the force alone I'm actually uh I'm watching a compilation right now mm-hmm. on YouTube um it's readily searchable, so you can just for those who are listening along, they can just go right on YouTube and <clears throat> see it, and he just he throws it. And it literally just, just plows through someone. And there's a great one, a uh, great clip of him even doing it to Andre.
2: Um, oh wow! Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And
1: Andre doesn't go to, doesn't he? Doesn't go down, but he he definitely like gets rocked.
2: That is um, that is worth Andre the Giant versus Stan Hansen In New Japan is worth tracking down. I would consider it to be close to a five star match. Really? Yeah. Wow. I think he slams Andre in that match too.
0: I, I've got to look this up because
2: well, every, everyone slammed kind of a, Andre.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like uh, I know in the context of the the WWF, old school WWF, like we're all supposed to believe that oh, only Hogan. <clears throat> but no, like before before WrestleMania three, that was like a thing that that Andre did. It was a nice spot. Yeah. It
2: it was such a retcon though, because if you watch um if you watch um Hogan and Andre's like 80 81 ish program when Hogan was a heel and Andre was the face. Hogan pretty much body slams him in every single one of their matches. See,
0: yeah, the brother. thing that the in in everything like part of the lead up was supposedly that uh, uh, Andre hadn't been beaten going into that match for like years, right? Yeah except that he had on WWF TV so
2: Well, it's no. um jim cornette tells a funny story you can look it up on youtube about um when lawler beat andre in memphis by like count out or something mm-hmm. and the Aftermags did a headline the night a midget beat andre the giant and they're in some wow. nwa and they're like in some nwa meeting And Vince is like yelling at them about this and Jarrett and Lawler like down in their chairs and like Terry Funk's being Terry Funk about it and being like, gee, Vince, who was that guy that did that? (laughs) (laughs) I actually want to find whatever I've looked up the 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 um, article I need to get the magazine that has that in it just because it's legitimate. Like I've looked it up. It does say the night a midget beat Andre the giant
0: you know i wish i could find more footage of terry funk backstage taking the piss out of people because that just sounds like great fun
2: he's that guy that everyone has an impression of
0: yeah i think all three of us did that one night on one of our episodes
2: oh probably
0: <laughs> okay so stan hansen I uh, Probably not the inventor, but as TV tropes might say, the codifier. Or codifier, I'm not sure exactly how they say it, of that uh, particular move. Um, Matt, who's someone that uh, you would like to talk about as a user of the Lariat?
1: Well, um, before we move on from Stan Hansen, I guess I have another analogy. Go for it. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this. You may be... You do like a really weird deep dive on YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are videos out there of uh, of like grizzly bears, uh, you know uh, hunting moose or caribou, so some large prey animal. and a bear just has like a tremendous amount of strength. Mm-hmm. Grizzly bears are pretty much just like the most powerful land predator, at least in North America. Mm -hmm. And I swear to God, there's there's videos out there you can see where a a bear will just take a swipe of its paw, and it's so powerful that it just will knock like a reindeer or a caribou, something like that. Just knock it. Just take it out. Just with like a swipe of the paw. And that, to me, (laughs) is like the Stan Hansen lariat. Like, he would just throw that arm. And it's it's ponderous, actually, how devastating it looks. Because he would just rock dudes. There's... uh, like, the match he had, one of the matches he had with uh, Kawada, he just nails him from the back, and Kawada just, like, crumples. Yeah. Like a paper doll. So, um, Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, Stan Hansen, for those who are not familiar with him, I mean, I would say probably, like, the majority of his career was in Japan. Either with uh, New Japan or predominantly, like, with All Japan. But he's definitely someone who it's worth tracking down his mm-hmm. work.
2: I would uh, I would call him a top 25 worker all time probably.
1: Yeah, he's a uh, he's really underrated for people who don't really know his work and that's a lot of people I feel. I mean, if you're a real like hardcore fan, you're aware of him, but
2: I think I think the problem he has is like there is good stuff he did in the United States, but he never had that like definitive run because his definitive run was all Japan.
0: Yeah. I think there was a there was a story that WCW was running. Um, I can't remember who was. It was there were some cowboy type guys that were looking for Stan Hansen, and Stan watched the vignettes and went, "Hell no, I'm not doing that." But I can't put my finger on who it was.
2: Oh, I know what you're talking about. They did a series. Okay. They did a series of of um, skits where Missy Hyatt was trying to find. Oh, uh, uh, Tom Zink backstage and was going into the guy's locker room, and she kept running into Stan Hansen.
0: No, this is a different thing.
2: Yeah, this was. I, I know what you're talking about, though. Uh, but I oh, can't okay. remember who it was. It was. Yeah, I don't remember who it was, though.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, it's goofballs in, in cowboy was, gimmicks.
2: Was it the Was it the guys that became Southern Justice, like um, Shanghai Pearson,
1: Tex Lashinger?
2: Yes, those guys. I,
1: I, for the life of me, I can't remember. Was it was it like Black Bart?
0: No, Maybe he,
2: he was like doing jobs in WWE by that point. I think.
0: Well, mm. in any event, I'd, I'd that's that's a rabbit hole we could go down just to beat our head on the wall.
1: <laughs> well, if you really yeah. want a rabbit, if you really want a rabbit hole. Um, you have to re- recall that Stan Hansen was also he also had a bit part in uh, No Holds Barred.
0: Oh my, <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh, he <God>. did! <laughs>
1: Which I feel like oh. we should just watch for this this podcast. Oh and, man, and, and critique.
2: <laughs> we should do like a whole. We should do a month sometime, like a Hogan film retrospective.
0: Oh no, I was frozen today. I can't do that.
2: <laughs> Suburban Commando is not terrible.
0: It's
1: it's actually not.
0: No, but it gives... That was one of the Nostalgia Critic's favorite jokes, was Christopher Lloyd screaming at Hulk Hogan, I was frozen today! And it's... Yeah, man. Sometime look that up. His cadence. And the fact that he's shouting this is so funny. I really can't convey it.
2: I would actually... I would say... Of, the film, like of his film career, I'm not counting Rocky because he didn't star in that. He just was a pretty much a cameo. I'd be willing to say Suburban Commando was probably his best film.
0: <laughs> that says a lot, doesn't it?
2: Because, I mean, what was the other? There was Santa with Muscles, which I don't think I ever saw that.
1: No. And Ugh. then
2: uh, Mr. Mom? No, it was Mr. Mom. Mr. Mr. Nanny. Mr. Nanny. Nanny. Mr. Mom was Michael Keaton. I think. yeah i i
1: uh, I didn't see Miss uh, Mr. Nanny
2: I don't think I saw it. they used to play these on USA like all the time
1: I feel like i I've, I've, I've studiously avoided most of Hulk Hogan's acting career
2: yeah I know I've seen outside, Kobe, of, right?
1: outside of outside of Thundered Paradise which I mentioned <laughs> two podcasts ago you did you
0: absolutely did
2: Oh, he was. You know what he was great in though, and they cut it out of when they played on TV as his little bit part in Gremlins too.
1: Oh yeah, I think playing himself, oh, okay. right?
2: Yeah, because they remember they they're in a they're like they they cut away from the movie and they're playing some like old fifties nudie flick, and they go up and they're like they they like start talking to some guy and they're like there's gremlins in the booth. And it's Hulk Hogan, and he yells at them to turn the movie back on. And then they go back to the movie.
0: Wow. No, I don't remember that.
2: they don't play it on TV, awesome. you have to, like, actually see huh. it on DVD.
0: Fair enough. Okay, so, back to the lariat.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, I actually do... Um, I will throw out a guy. Um, mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know what... I, let me let me pause. Like I have a guy, but maybe I'll throw out a, like a bonus one. Would we consider Hulk Hogan to be someone who used the lariat? Or are we are we ca- are we including like the Axe Bomber?
2: I, would. As I think a the version of the lariat. Count.
0: Yeah,
2: sure. I okay. count, count as a variation.
0: Now let's let's set the stage for some of the folks who might be going. Like, what are you talking about, Hulk Hogan Axe Bomber thing? Um, Hogan did work in Japan. And that was that was his finish over there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't there something about he knocked someone goofy with it or something like that?
2: He knocked a Nokia out with it, supposedly. Okay.
0: So, Matt, since this is yours, why don't you fill in for us a little – tell us a little more.
1: So, I don't so, – so, the Axe Bomber is basically like – it's a variation of the Lariat. Um, it's not like the Stan Hansen Lariat, but he would throw a guy into the ropes – and then he would do kind of a running lariat. But the thing that makes the axe bomber kind of different as a variation, he he would kind of hold his arm up in almost like a like a ninety degree angle, and then you know perform the move that way, where it's basically almost like his like forearm and elbow are what's clocking the guy. It kind of if people will remember back in the mid-90s when Lex Luger was doing that whole like Lex Express or the narcissist gimmick. Like his flying like forearm? The, yeah, yeah, like the bionic elbow or bionic forearm, whatever shot. It was kind of like that. Oh, okay. Um, um, I don't know if Hogan really used it that much in the States. I feel like he, he used it a couple times. Um, but he would predominantly use it in Japan. If... So for people who are just familiar with Hogan, um, from his U.S. work, which is, I mean, that's the vast majority of it, he was actually a different worker when he went to um, Japan. He would he would actually do a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's not like, he's never, Hulk Hogan was never like Bret Hart doing, or, or Ric Flair doing a whole bunch of technical stuff in the ring, and he's not like Daniel Bryan busting out submission holds and <laughs> like kicks and, and things like that. That's because oh, you know, Japanese fans kind of expect more. Sure. you looking at the axe bomber.
2: Yeah, Have yeah, you ever I heard have. the Hogan, um, the Japanese Hogan song?
1: No, I don't think I have. Um, um, but he he would bust it out, and it was kind of like his. Oh my god.
2: What? I don't. I don't know. They played wow. on Cole Cabana's podcast once.
0: So, it, it just just from looking at some quick YouTube stuff about the the Axe Bomber, it looks like that for Hogan. Shooting the guy off, hitting the ropes, and meeting him in the middle of the ring was a hugely operative part of it. Like, create, yeah. build this momentum for the collision.
1: Yeah, and he did, um, he did use it against Inoki. I think that was, was that the first IJ, IWGP title tournament? Or yeah, he did I Inoki so. in the final? Like, he used it on that, and I get, I think that's what the, uh, allegedly when he knocked Inoki out. Although, I don't know if that's, K- that's a yeah. shoot, just kayfabe it sounds like that'd be something kayfabe
2: you know Noki liked to shoot stuff Yeah, I'm surprised he never busted it out in the United States like for a Wrestlemania or something
1: uh, if you really want to kind of pull everything together and, and it's a small world, like talking the, the first two guys we kind of talking about there is a, a clip of Hogan using the axe bomber on Stan Hansen
0: yeah, I'm looking and, at that
1: right now. Yeah, and winning winning the match, which I didn't even know this match. Like, it's looking Hogan's busted open.
0: Yeah, and, and it, like, that's a that, pretty solid lariat that he hits, too.
1: That seems like that would have been a really good match, actually.
2: You know, Hogan, Hogan gets unfairly crapped on. If you go back to his early WWF run, like, he's he gets really formula about after WrestleMania three, but there's a time where he if you watch like old house shows from like that eighty four to eighty six area, he's usually the best match on the show.
0: There's a lot to be said for having the presence to get people involved. Like I was never the the best worker and I never claimed to be. But I will say that I could get people invested in what was going on so you know that was always that was something i was always proud of
1: yeah the thing about hogan was that he kind of did he he was he was extraordinarily smart about the business and he basically did what he had to do and nothing more like he didn't he didn't go real crazy in the ring if he didn't need to Mm mm-hmm so that was that's why he like w- did a little more in Japan because it was kind of expected of him to to put on a at least a better quality match and
2: Well and I mean I mean New York fans were used to garbage.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> go, true. This.
2: go go watch like a a random MSG show from the 70s on the network and it sucks. It is not good. Wow.
0: Oh wow. That's Yeah, I've I've been to some places where what they're used to is not good stuff, and it's it can be a really weird transition because you know it's not what they're used to, and if someone goes out there and starts putting on like a technical clinic, then they they're not sure how to react.
2: I really have trouble going back and watching like wwf stuff versus other things because it's so just the style that new york was you know new york was used to is just not my thing
1: Mm -hmm. yeah you get really crappy matches like uh like chief j strongbow and like a 20 minute match with uh like johnny rods or (laughs)
2: something Or, or i mean you can if you put on any any like MSG show from like nineteen seventy seven to nineteen eighty two, you're probably getting like a twenty minute SG Jones versus Baron Mikkel Skaluna.
0: Oh my god. That name doesn't even sound fun.
2: He did like he he's all over the I I said it probably it's probably Sisaluna. I, I
1: No, I think it's like Luna, I think.
2: Yeah. I watched a lot of this stuff um when Twenty four seven was a thing on my on demand.
1: Yep, I remember that. Before the before the network, they had uh, WWE twenty four seven, which is basically kind of like the network, only yeah. not as much content. And, and it was you easy could to order through what like a Comcast or whatever your local provider was. No, yeah. they had a, a certain amount of content every month. Um, yeah, and it would it, switch it would have, switch
2: over like every two weeks.
1: Yeah, and I think. I think, so like, you usually get
2: an old pay-per-view, uh, yeah. a more recent pay-per-view. They would have a world championship wrestling episode. They'd have Monday Night Wars, which was the WCW and Nitro and the Raw. And then I think they would have like Florida ECW and I think World Class. And then they'd have a couple house shows.
1: Yeah, and they would from, theme it too. It would be, uh, yeah. for like Halloween, they would have like a horror theme, so you could maybe watch like an old episode, old uh, Halloween Havoc, <laughs> uh, or they feature matches from like uh, Papa Shango, <laughs> or like the Boogeyman.
0: Yeah. Wow. God, that's... You know, on one hand, I'd, I want to give credit to guys that try gimmicks like that, but on the other hand, it's like, wow, this did not work.
2: Actually, I have I have a metric crap ton of DVDs I recorded off of twenty four seven.
1: I probably do too. Um, stored away somewhere. Yeah.
0: So Hogan's Axe bomber, pretty solid lariat. Uh, if you don't believe it, go check it out. Um, looks like he's swinging high and and making impact. Whereas Stan Hansen was kind of taking a baseball bat or a tree trunk and swing it at you it kind of seemed more like Hogan's trying to chop you right across the neck with it
2: oh I wanted a random random story before we move on um I was showing my wife like she wanted to know what Hogan looked like I guess when he was younger because so we we're watching something he's he older so I I found his like original WW probably it was the 3WF one mm-hmm. it's his TV debut and so it's Vince McMahon as an announcer and you know his dad's still the the booker and everything mm-hmm. so hogan like takes his robe off and like you can literally hear vince mcmahon get an erection <laughs> when he takes his robe <laughs> off oh god look at look at that look at that physique oh my god no he was like he was like oh i think or something like that <laughs> like it was definitely there was definitely some arousal going on when it <laughs> Okay. Okay. Ooh. okay.
1: you know can i can i uh can i interject real quick now that i was thinking about wwe 24 7 and like the old pay-per-views those they would throw on there you know a guy who i've always liked and this is going back from my like childhood watching uh back when they had like just regular jobber matches i loved iron mike sharp
2: can canada's <laughs> greatest athlete
1: <laughs> yes and that you know what yeah. God God bless him. That forearm just would not. You know feel. his um he him and Cowboy Bob Orton just his forearms never healed. He had to wear that Iron Mike had to wear that leather protector on it. You know his um
2: <laughs> his dad and um his dad's brother were huge for uh, pro wrestling taking off in Japan. Really, they had it was Ben and Mike Sharp versus Ricky Dozen and um I don't remember the other guy's name. But it was, like, it was when the, like, um Ricky Dozen's promotion was first starting. They had this big tag match in, I think, like, 52? And that was, like, that promotion's first card, and it was a huge... Like, people were, like, lined up in the streets, like, watching it on TV. Wow. There's actually... um I don't know how I found this, but if you if you go to like David Lee Roth's YouTube and look up Ricky Dozen, like Ballad of Ricky Dozen, he tells like the story. Like, it's a real and like that David Lee Roth.
1: Yes, he's isn't he like a huge wrestling fan, or at least wrestling uh, back from back in the day.
2: I think so. Yeah. Yeah
1: he he's literally I don't know if he still does it, but back in the a few years back he he had his own podcast, which if you've never heard it is the craziest podcast because extraordinarily stream of conscience mm. conscience, conscience said yeah. that wrong but he he would he was just like a trip to listen to and he did this whole like podcast on like Ricky Dosen and like Japanese wrestling does and that like mean that... you know a lot about this stuff dude it was crazy to listen to does
0: that mean that Carl Gotch went to Japan after that
2: Carl Gotch would have been he would have been 50s 60s Okay,
0: I know that Gotch had
2: a big
0: influence over there, but that's that's about all I know.
2: I I um I have a lot of the footage because someone uploaded like a torrent of a lot of stuff. So I have I have some s- clips of like uh, Ricky Dozen as um as a um sumo. Okay, but like we're talking like thirty or forty second clips. Tied together, and then like um, some stuff of him in Hawaii, the Luthes matches. A lot of this stuff's clipped though, because I think a lot of it's like newsreel stuff. But yeah, actually, if you want if you want to see a lot of guys in their prime in the seventies, like all Japan is the way to go, Mm. because for some reason Japan preserves their footage a lot better than the U.S. did.
0: Fair enough. So that was. For Hogan, Hogan's variation, which totally valid, yeah, absolutely. Okay, who do we want to bring up next?
1: Hmm.
2: Who well, was your original one, Matt? Before you went. Oh yeah.
1: Bonus. Well, I was. I could. We could throw him out there and talk about him. I was going to give someone else a shot, but I was. Go I was going to say uh, Nikita Koloff.
0: Nikita Koloff. That's who I was eyeing next.
1: Yeah, another guy who I guess kind of was. Would you consider that, like, a variation of it as a oh, Lariat absolutely. or just, just a straight-up Lariat?
2: Well, he had, uh, like, it kind of evolved over time because there was that while where he was, like, he would he would nail guys and then it would kind of go into a chokehold as he took them down.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for those who are not familiar with his career, like, uh, Nikita Koloff was, I think, just predominantly with, like, NWA and NWA affiliates, right?
2: Yep. He did like a couple. He did a couple tapings with um, the AWA towards the end, and then he was in Herb Abrams UWF for a little while.
1: Mm. We've uh, we mentioned him in the in our Vader retrospective. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in he was in NWA like mid eighties, I want to say, until like ninety one. Ninety one like when he his career basically wrapping up. So he actually didn't have a overly long um, no. wrestling career in the grand scheme of things. But he I'd say
2: I'd say it, I'd say if you if you, when you take out um, quitting for his wife's cancer, he probably was in it for less than seven years.
1: That's kind of crazy because when I when I was starting to watch, I guess it was just wrapping his career up, but kind of looking at old NWA footage. like He was such a he was actually a really big deal. For the brief period of time. Um,
0: He also committed so much to his gimmick.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, because he he was playing a... um, This is back before the Soviet Union fell. So this is back very much when it was USA versus Soviet Union. And he was playing a a Russian heel gimmick. And he's... Where is he from originally? He's he's completely American wrestler. Like was never, yeah, he's <laughs> never like
2: from Detroit or something. Yeah, so he might be Ivan. Hold on. wasn't Ivan wasn't Ivan uh, Canadian? He might be. So you know what's funny about Nikita Koloff? Um, his gimmick. If you watch, if you watch the him over time, his character actually becomes more proficient at English. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I think that part of good slope when he started off, he's very green and just couldn't cut a good promo.
2: Minnesota, I bet he, I bet he is with like that Kurt Henning, uh, half the the, the Legion just, of Doom. Oh, man, There's did guys. he start?
1: Did, did he start with them?
2: No, uh, let's uh, see. He's an Eddie Sharky guy, and he's he's probably after them.
1: Uh but wasn't. Isn't it, like, really, like, an actual shoot that, um, like, Legion of Doom and at least, like, Barry Darso all started together and were all, like, good friends? They were all,
2: like, bouncing a bar together or something.
0: Let's see. Well, Wikipedia, for what it is, is that he was going to try out for the United States Football League when Animal asked him to be a wrestler. Mm. So Animal brought him in. And apparently they went straight to Crockett
1: yeah they were i think yeah he was predominantly in the nwa yeah and super he, green so they they put him in there with uh with ivan koloff and who what was who Don else was Kermit. he in there with
0: Don oh, man, I, don't, who
1: I i don't i do remember i don't um, remember that one i remember crusher khrushchev which i think was very, very
2: yeah darso, it was very right? darso yeah yeah they um, they it, feuded with Don Cronodal in um early eighty five. I I don't know so I, I have a kind of a gap there. I don't know much about Crockett before eighty four. Um but thankfully it's all on the network through eighty five now, I think. Cool. Uh a lot of it's on there, yeah. I've watched I've watched all of eighty five as far as their T V goes. So, um they feud with um Kernodal over the American flag. There's actually a good TV match. I think it was with, with Kernodal versus them. And then I think Steamboat teams up with him. Mm-hmm. Like right before he leaves with the Russians. Then they win the tag titles. And then they kind of go into like, they feud with the road warriors coming with the AWA belts. Cause mm-hmm. then that's that pro wrestling USA stuff. And then they go into stuff with the rock and roll express that year.
0: Incidentally, for those of you that don't know it, his, Lariat was called the Russian Sickle. Yeah. So, and, and, like, he would set it up. Like, I remember watching this thing where he goes to run in on a sting match. He's standing, because they had, they didn't have the ramp. They had the flat walkway out to the ring. He's standing on the walkway. He's got his arm up and crooked. He's ready to run with it. And Sting turns around and catches him, and he's standing there, and his eyes get all big, and Sting's looking at him. And he's still holding his arm out, crooked like that. Because, brother, he's going to sell that gimmick.
1: Yeah, I, that's the thing that I really liked about um, his version of the lariat, at the Russian Sickle. Because he did, he crooked it, and then he would just run straight at the dude. And usually, when he would do it, they'd, uh, they'd kind of finagle it so that he's the guy is standing up... Um, Or he's facing away from Nikita. And as soon as he like turns towards Nikita, that's when Nikita would just like run up and just, you know, plow into him um, with the hook. So it would just look devastating. Yeah. Um, Really good way of actually like selling the move. Yeah.
0: And now, to be fair, Um, I did kind of steal this a little bit. Um, because at the end of my career, I started using a lariat from the back. Like, I could, I would hit the guy from the back with it. And, golly, it looks like you just murdered somebody whenever you do that. But, uh...
2: He's also one of the rare guys that if you gave me a comp of him just destroying jobbers for three hours, I would watch and enjoy every minute of it. (laughs) And his promos, man, like... If you want someone to just act like an utter psychopath, like he is amazing. I also forgot in my eighty-five recap. He also gives the Russian sickle to David Crockett during an interview, which kicks off uh, him and Ric Flair feuding.
1: Wow.
0: Okay.
2: That should be on YouTube, I think. All if right. not, it's it's on um, it's on the network. I think it happens in like April.
0: I need to apologize to the listeners, by the way. I know that uh, in some past episodes, my keyboard clacking has come through kind of loud, so I'm working on not doing that to you again, just, just as an aside. Okay.
2: And um, his career got cut short because his wife got cancer, and he um, took time off for that, and then he came back. And then he got hurt like a couple years after coming back after her death.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and yeah, we did talk about that with Vader.
1: He, he had a really interesting career, for sure, as it was, because he got pretty – I thought he got pretty decent, and he got very over. Um, he got really over, I think, probably – well, I guess he potentially a little bit earlier than this, but he had a really good feud with uh, Magnum T.A., Mm. that got speaking, that got, speaking that, of
2: guys with short careers magnum t yeah, was only in the business for four years yeah
1: and if he if he had not magnum t for those who don't know uh was po- poised to be like a superstar in the late 80s and it got into a really nasty car accident that effectively like crippled him and he still to this day has issues with mobility and that's i mean that's like 30 years after the oh, the yeah. accident cut his career short like no chance of him coming back um but magnum jay was one of those guys that if he he that had never happened um i don't who knows what the landscape of professional wrestling would have turned into like he would have been a major star in the the late 80s and definitely into the 90s um but he he was
2: also that guy um in crockett he was getting like a goldberg-esque push like where he was just running through jobbers in like seconds
0: Oh, yeah, he'd go out there and he'd hit him with the belly to belly and just pin him. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, and he had a he and Nikita had a great feud, but then the accident actually occurred like while they were in the feud. Um, and but, then,
2: it, well, and, and the funny about that is then, so Nikita then turns face to honor like the respect he had for Magnum from their feud, and then he starts teaming with Dusty Rhodes.
1: Yeah, and actually, I think even got more over. Um, yeah i like i
0: really like when you have dynamics like that happen mm-hmm.
1: um there's a whole story about
0: that and some guys that used to work the tennessee territory but that's for another time um, and it'll it'll be a good story i'll be retelling it from somebody else but it's still a good story uh so yeah nikita koloff the russian sickle great great pick that was actually who i was going to go to so uh
1: sorry to say sorry yeah, still I, the years under there
0: that's all right you know what great minds or something, right? So, Brad, why don't you pick our next next Lariat user on here?
2: Um, I'm going to go in the similar time period and go with Barry Wyndham.
0: Barry Wyndham. All right.
2: Tell us more. So, let's talk about probably top five worker of the 80s. Okay. Um, one of the I think it was, was it worldwide that that time limit draw he had with Ric Flair in '87?
1: Hmm, I don't, I don't recall.
2: So he had this. I think it was, it was world, it was on TV. It was a TV one. He had, he had a time limit draw with Ric Flair for like the world title. It is quite possibly one of the best thirty matches I've ever seen in my life. Wow! It's on the first, um, it's on the first Ric Flair set they did in the mid-2000s um and um go ahead so Wyndham's windham's this weird case where i think his career gets marred by the periods where he's not as good mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people miss that like 87 88 era where he was just off the charts great on a nightly basis
1: yeah, he was a tremendous worker at periods. Even into like the early 90s, he he had a really good run. Well,
2: he even he even had that mini resurgence in WCW with Kurt Henning.
1: Yeah. Oh, the Which, late the late 90s? Yeah. Like 99. Yeah.
2: yeah. Where they won the
0: uh, tag title tournament. Please tell yeah, me I'm not uh, the only one that remembers that tag no, title. No, I
2: remember that. <laughs> okay. And then he was part of the West Texas Rednecks. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's right.
2: But he's um he's also a guy was a little lazy but he got hampered by um he, I can't remember what part he had that cadaver remember he he wrestled on I think he wrestled Muda or someone on pay-per-view and they put like a cadaver tendon in his leg and it broke Oh,
1: oh oh when was I that I can't even imagine what that would be like I think he also had issues with uh with his dad and his brother kind of getting into shenanigans, you know, if there are periods where he like stepped away from the business because if, his if dad. By had...
2: sh- if by shenanigans do you mean counterfeiting yeah, business? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that's actually a true story, uh, folks. Yeah. You don't know that um, Barry Wyndham's father, Blackjack Mulligan, is, is Mulligan.
2: Yeah, right? Blackjack Mulligan. Blackjack
1: yeah. Mulligan and Kendall Wyndham, Will- uh, also uh, wrestlers, uh, legit got popped for counterfeiting money, and, <laughs> yeah. and Barry Wyndham, I think took a step away from the business for a little while to kind of help them out. Also with, uh, you know, committing federal
2: felonies. Yeah. Sure. Also not to not to continually shill for the network on this, but, um, if you go look up the mid Atlantic wrestling from 81 and early 82, there is a very young Barry Windham wrestling there as blackjack Mulligan jr. Hmm. He was also big in Florida, but I don't have as good a working understanding of Florida because the footage isn't as readily available.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. I would not have picked Wyndham for his Lariat because in my mind, Barry Wyndham has one of the best superplexes I have ever seen.
2: Well, you know what the problem with Wyndham is? Is he really He's really a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to his finishers because... There's, there's numerous things I think about with him, with finishers. I think about the Bulldog, mm-hmm. I think about the Superplex, mm-hmm. the Lariat, and also the Claw. Because mm. remember that, that um town Rumble match with Luger's built all around the fact that the Claw was his finisher and he accidentally punches the ring post and he can't use it?
0: I'd forgotten all about that. I, I generally kind of block out people that use the Claw. Um... So,
2: I, I just the random aside because Matt saw this match too. There's a Kerry Von Erich versus Ric Flair match where Flair blades when he's in the Claw.
0: Wow!
2: And um, it's it's a really tremendous visual. Mm-hmm. But that's that's another time we can get into the Claw later.
1: <laughs> you know, this is going to be really random, but do do either of you remember? Reading about Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling.
0: Yes, yeah, I remember that. That was Dusty's predecessor to Florida Championship, wasn't it?
1: It was. For oh. long. Um, oh. And I don't. E- they had a TV show. Lives like, of it in existence but Uh, i know barry wind was in that and i think allegedly he uh he actually had some good work in there that was kind of like his like last hurrah in terms of ring work 2000
2: to 2003 it looks like for turnbuckle championship wrestling
1: okay i
0: don't i don't really have much in the way of um to contribute on that because i'm not really familiar with it
2: yeah Uh, here's the heavyweight championship glacier barry windham scotty anton barry windham scotty anton dustin road scotty anton glacier (laughs) ooh Lodi had their hardcore championship for about a bit Mm. public enemy um Ooh, Glacier and Big Ron Stud held the tag titles <laughs> at one point. Wow. It looks like it was in mostly Georgia. <laughs> well I was I was really sad when uh, Barry Wendham passed away, though. Mm, okay.
0: Well, I was gonna say it did remind me, and here's, we're going to have, I think we're going to have a little bit of a debate wait, wait. on this. What?
1: It, Barry Wyndham's not dead, right? No, he's dead. No, I don't think so.
2: He died last year, I'm pretty sure. I'll look it up.
1: I don't think that this is accurate. I think he's still alive. Hmm. Okay, well. Oh, I
2: could be wrong on that. Maybe it was Blackjack that died.
0: Yeah, I think blackjack's dead. Yeah,
2: I could have swore he passed away.
0: Well, we will celebrate the fact that he is not dead, and he used the lariat.
1: (laughs) Um, While Brad is speaking of, since we mentioned, sorry to cut you off, Chad. uh, Since we're talking, we were talking earlier about shoot interviews. Like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't generally like shoot interviews. That necessarily, I don't really listen to them. But I did listen to one, like. That Barry Wyndham did. This is years ago, um, but it was actually very good. He was actually quite humble mm. um, and very honest about. It. It, it, one of the questions I think he was asked was towards the uh, end of the interview. Um, What's like what? I think he was asking like, who do you think uh, never lived up to their potential? Something question like that, and he's like, me. He's like, I really feel like I could have been better, but. Uh, you know, I basically let, you know, personal things get in the way of that. And it was, it was like a very honest, very uh, kind of introspective part of the interview. And he, he didn't like trash people. He's very uh, complimentary of other workers. Uh, just he came off like a really like good guy. So mm. that's good to hear. It's- I might
2: be considering I might be I, he's he's still alive. It must be his ill health, though. OK, he's not in good shape. I know that.
0: Okay, well, here's my going to be my submission, and where this is where we're going to run into a little bit of debate. If I mention the Steiner brothers, the question is: Are the Steiners lariat users or clothesline users?
1: Ooh i
2: I would think of I would think clothesline. At least Rick.
0: I know they called it the Steiner line, um, but just
2: I don't feel they threw their arm for it. I feel like they kind of just did like a really stiff clothesline
0: what do you think matt
1: oh you know i really feel like uh, even as much as i would want to call it a a lariat i don't think it is i I would go along with the clothesline but okay
0: i think i think it's just
1: but i do love the steiner line
0: (laughs) see the thing that that gets me so much about the steiner line is like you said, probably not not running into and hitting with the arm, but there's as much body in the delivery of it as there is arm and shoulder. You can you can just see it whenever they uh, whenever Rick lays that in. But uh, okay, then in this in a similar vein, I'm going to mention another tag team where a Lariat. I feel like I can make the case made played a big part in their finish. And that is the Road Warriors, aka Legion of Doom, because the Doomsday Device was an electric chair, top rope lariat combo.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's it's that that move used to scare the crap out of me for whoever was taking it until I watched it closer. Um, if if you ever want to go look and, and see about the Doomsday device and wonder how someone doesn't die on the way down, just watch Animal whenever they're doing that. Because, let's be honest, you see the Doomsday device, you're watching Hawk hit the guy, right? Watch what Animal does.
2: I, I had my wife laughing hysterically once because I was showing her um, Road Warrior clips on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And... This is, like, you know, this isn't the lame WWF one. This is, like, this is, like, them coming out to Iron Man and them just charging into the ring and just, like, brutally beating the shit out of everyone. Yeah. And she just thought it was hilarious because they're, like, the camera's, like, zooming around. And I think one of them had, like, Bobby eating on the ground. He was just punching him in the face. And, you know, this is, like, 30 seconds into the match. And, like, it's just everywhere. Just bodies everywhere. And they're just... Just going Being wild, Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I I can't help but laugh because I I have a memory from a bunch of mania of them cutting a promo, stomping across the Japanese countryside to the narrative, and they exit the they they're walking off the out of the shot, and Hawk goes, "Somebody get me an effing towel."
2: They really um <laughs> I am... Um, they they are the. The WWF really did them a disservice. Mm -hmm. Because there's just something, like I said, them coming out to Iron Man, they don't, like, walk into the ring. Like, you just see them, like, charging into the ring. Yeah. And then just... Like, it's one of those things where when you heard Iron Man, you knew shit was about to go south real quick for whoever was in the ring.
0: To be fair, that held up even after 2000. Because after 2000 flippin' Vince Russo started using it and you knew stuff was still going south at that point, just in a different way. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so Legion of Doom, Doomsday device is a Lariat combo. One to throw that out there. So, um, Matt, who's our next Lariat user?
1: Uh, Let me throw it over actually to to Brad, since I kind of monopolized with two different people there. Fair
2: enough. So let's uh let's go with the guy that pretty much spent his entire career being a Stan Hansen ripoff. Let's go with JBL. JBL.
0: Mm-hmm. He did when His Justin Hawk Bradshaw started as is his first name, and I think he was a uh, Hansen ripoff down to the point that he even did the same shout and point thing, right?
2: Yeah, I. After i don't know what his name was in um global though oh okay, it might have been justin Hawk Bradshaw though but that's where he got his start, i think okay, and then he came into the to the w w f was he part of the no that wasn't he wasn't part of the new blackjacks that was um Wyndham and gun i think
1: okay. no no, no, I think that was definitely uh j b l
2: okay. All right, yeah, you might be right on that, yeah, his career is kind of shaky, because <laughs> he was really he was really kind of a nothing until they started the APA thing
0: well even well, even the acolytes when they teamed him up with Ron Simmons, that was like the first force to be reckoned with. it felt were- like in the Ministry of Darkness thing.
1: who was his uh manager when he was Justin Hawk Bradshaw was it a uh, was it Mantel?
2: Oh, uh, let's look.
0: Let's see here.
2: He seems like a Wiffleman guy. At that, <laughs> that time. Uh, he was with uh, Bobby Duncan Jr. as the Texas Mustangs in the GWF.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Y- well... Bobby Duncan Jr., Jr., yeah Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah, well, that's Oof
2: Uncle Zebekaya, so it was Dutch Mm.
0: Mm, Okay
2: I wonder if he had the blue twins right about then (laughs)
0: Let's see here So, there's a story And I cannot remember for the life of me Who told this story but there is a story, whenever he first got started, about uh, someone who was working with Hans- or with Bradshaw, and they didn't want him to throw the, the lariat. They didn't want him to do it. Well, as it turns out, that was the because they didn't think he'd be safe at it. It turns out that was about the only thing he could do safely because he worked so hard on just that one move. And for the life of me, I wish I could remember who told that story.
2: I will say um, the one thousandth episode of Raw yeah. that um, the APA stuff was probably the only part I found entertaining of that whole show.
0: Oh, oh, the with the skit backstage and stuff.
2: Yeah, and I liked um, I liked the the big pile of money appearing on the table, and they all look up, and it's Ted DiBiase. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, Heath Slater was losing his uh,
0: he was losing his trailer or something
2: yeah (laughs) oh man okay so the i was i also it was it was my absolute favorite thing for the five years they were doing it where they always went to the same bar in boston and they always got in the same bar fight every time they went to boston
0: oh i never realized that
2: you never realize like that same bar they got in like the same fight in like three or four times. Like every time they go to that same city, they go to that same bar and beat the shit out of the same guys again. No, I
0: didn't realize that it was just the same thing. I just thought it was uh, APA has gone to a bar and gotten in a fight again.
2: No, it was like a running gag for a, a long time. But I, don't re- I think it was Boston.
0: That's interesting. But so one thing that sticks out to me is that there was and this is such a weird thing to remember but there was a time on heat sunday night heat so you know you kind of got an idea what we're going into but Crash Holly was in doing his super heavyweight thing right and he goes into he's ends up somehow in the ring with the acolytes and they just beat the piss out of him and the match ends. Bradshaw gives him the clothesline from hell and which is odd. <laughs> it's so odd because it's hilarious. It's not a clothesline, but whatever. He does that, and then fruit picks him up and gives him a dominator. And then Fruit just kind of looks at him and puts his boot on his chest and then they walk away. Just just an utter beating.
2: I it it was one of my few favorite moments of 1999 WWF was the Hardy Boys beating them on Raw Mm -hmm. for the tag titles oh wow that was back when Michael Hayes was their manager and they didn't even have like their um, signature music this was before then they like I don't remember how they beat them but then all I remember is them like just scurrying to the back because they didn't want to get beaten up
0: yeah Wow, wow, that's yeah. I'm with you now. Wow. Cause that was right I, before that's when they were still wearing like the plaid crosshatch stuff. And yeah. right before they joined up with Farouk to be the new brood for some reason.
2: Uh that was um Oh, who was that? I don't the new brood
0: was that. the Harding Boys, but
2: Yeah. Anyway. And and then um what did you guys think of when he went like the, the millionaire, like um,
1: basically Dallas, yeah, basically thing. JBL, yeah, when he yeah. became went from just being you know Bradshaw to JBL,
2: I I couldn't remember what um Patrick Duffy's character on Dallas was,
1: oh, oh uh, no, Bobby was... Bobby Ewing, yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I figured well, he, was supposed, I J J yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was supposed to be Jr. arguing yeah he was
1: supposed to be jay um i actually had a soft spot for the JBL gimmick i actually kind of liked the gimmick he was a really good
0: dick move you know heel gimmick mm-hmm.
2: he shouldn't have been champion that was my my only problem with him well, he should have been like the u.s that. champion not the world champion
0: Yeah, because he's the one that took it off Eddie Guerrero. It's kind of like.
2: Yeah, but in fairness to him, though, it sounded like Eddie was kind of cracking under the pressure at the time. So.
0: Yeah, uh,
2: but still,
0: you know, it was Eddie, so it's kind of hard for me to. Even if that's the case, it's kind of hard for me to, to just let that slide. But in any event, JBL, I mean, he's. Yeah, he threw a great lariat.
2: All right. So I'm going. I'm going to get a twofer because I want to go straight into a, a a certified shad favorite. Oh no! In Bray Wyatt.
1: Oh.
0: Yes, the guy who I was such a mark for that I m- ripped him off for my last run. Um. <laughs> you know the thing. One thing that I always appreciate about Bray is the fact that. When he hits somebody, like, Bray's impact stuff looks like it hurts. It looks like it's impact stuff. Bray has, I think his his lariats, he generally does a standing version, doesn't he? Kind yeah. of a stand and pivot thing. It looks, yeah. I mean, you know, it looks like he's just swinging for the fences.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that I like about that is that there's, like, a follow-through -hmm that's I mean that to me that's what makes that that's kind of like the mark of a good lariat um especially if you're in like a standing variation like that mm-hmm. you don't just like hold out your <laughs> your arm and kind of just run it into the guy you basically you you act as if your your hand your arm is just a club it's a baseball bat and you're just swinging and that that's to me like that's that's what I like about his it just takes it thro- throws that arm out and just Tries like decapitate the guy.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it looks great. Um, you know, it really does. I still have a sad deep in my soul um, because you know we went from from in the course of basically a month we went from Bray Wyatt pinned clean John Cena and AJ Styles in back to back nights to the whatever that was against orton at mania and you know he's he never recovered from that
2: i I would say the match after that's the one he didn't recover from oh the house of horrors yeah
0: yeah it's well he never recovered from that feud
2: i feel like he's kind of rebounded being um Matt Hardy's buddy
0: it it's it's starting there you know you you have to start rehabbing somewhere and that's where the rehab is is starting from
2: (laughs) I thought he I thought he was the best person to have when they did the ultimate deletion which I don't think was as good as the other ones but I enjoyed it especially like um him doing his little look at them from upside down while Matt Hardy was coming at him on a lawnmower
0: <laughs> I want to go back and watch that again.
2: But um, I think where they really. I think where I really lost it with him was when they did the Finn Balor thing and he was like dressing in drag and stuff. Oh, yeah. and He was supposed
1: to be Sister Abigail. Yeah. So be yeah. The big
2: because
0: the writers didn't know what in the hell they were doing.
2: I think the problem is he needs. The, where they really screwed him up, I thought, was he needs the family. Like, when you take the family away from him, he doesn't work.
0: He can, but they don't know how. And so, the problem is that the, the character was built up since the beginning as being a cult leader. If you take away the cult, then he's he still has like this kind of lore around him, but then he has to try and Figure out how to make it work without Actually having a cult You
2: know what I found was Interesting about him in the modern Landscape of the WWF Is he went he was on the main roster Like almost I think three years before He actually won a championship which is Very rare
0: yeah But it's yeah Because that was the Smackdown tag titles um, That he and Orton won
2: Yeah
0: So it, it, like, they kept talking about the 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 talk that I heard. So, Grain of Salt, was that wins and losses shouldn't matter to him. They don't hurt him anyway. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they, they do. And then titles shouldn't matter to him. It's like, look, this is wrestling. Titles kind of matter to everybody. When I was doing my Bray Wyatt ripoff gimmick, the whole reason that I held a title was I claimed that I was taking their golden idol away from them. Like that was my whole thing is I was taking their golden idol away from and I wrapped it up in like logging chain to say, you know, this is, I'm, I'm binding this away from you. Also, whenever you hit somebody, you do a gimmick shot with the belt with it wrapped up in chains. It's even nastier looking, but you know, they, they don't, they don't know what to do with the... Ca- the character is smarter than the writers are.
2: I I thought that was going to be a problem from day one, because there was... um When it was in NXT, there was a certain subtlety to it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, they don't do subtlety. Because he used to, like... He used to, like, sit at the ring, like, in a rocking chair when um, Rowan and Harper would wrestle and... Yeah, that went away real quick. Yeah, he
0: didn't have to, but the fact that he was just sitting there was, you know, just kind of added something to it. I'm going to guess, though, that since you brought him up, that's going to lead into someone who'd been in the family in one Luke Harper.
2: He is on my list, actually. Yeah,
0: well, let's just go from one. Oh, incidentally, Bray Wyatt's real name is Wyndham Rotunda, because I believe Barry Wyndham was such a good friend to... Uh, Wyatt's father, so they named him after uh, Barry Wyndham. Why they went with Wyndham instead of Barry, I have no idea. But there it is.
2: And he was also he was also Husky Harris back in the <laughs> we like to Nexus, we you
0: know, don't talk about that. Yeah, we try not to remember that period. Yeah, we don't we don't we don't talk about that.
2: You got to give it to a guy coming back from having Husky in his ring name at one. That's point. true.
0: And the thing. The way, the thing that I I think set me off of being a fan of Wyatt's, but then also the thing that I was fair certain it wasn't going to work, was someone on Twitter said, what happened to Husky Harris? And Wyatt said, um, he needed a drive and I needed a vessel or something like that, basically insinuating that he was the the demon from the... um, denzel washington movie uh fallen i think that's right
2: yeah i think so
0: so i'm i'm seeing that and i'm like oh my god that's so cool that's the best reason for a gimmick change that's awesome they're never gonna do anything with it because it's smarter than they are
2: randomly before i jump into um why luke harper's awesome um the bray wyatt walmart story from last year was really funny
0: oh uh Helping the lady pick out the figure,
2: yeah. Um, and just pointed, just pointed at himself as like, "That's me," and then signed it for. her.
0: Yeah, because she was like, "Can you help me? I don't know who these are. Can you help me with it? And He goes, "Yeah, that's me." <laughs> and I can't help but wonder if it's the god awful like Bray White as an alligator version I've seen on the. Oh my god,
1: no! I
2: know, right? <laughs> I have to say though, I do want, I do want some of those old school Hasbro ones.
1: You can pick those up most anywhere now, at least the, the more modern series, but they're kind of expensive. I, I want to say they're at least 10 bucks. Maybe they actually are, more than and that. That's,
2: they're like... Amazon has them a little cheaper, and like, uh, the cheap ones are like 8 bucks. And I just... They're not that big. <laughs> and I don't have anywhere to put them.
0: I think the second one would probably play a bigger role, right?
2: It, I just don't understand, like... I don't understand toy collectors because action figures are so freaking expensive because i think like i think some of their like regular figures are like 12 or 15 bucks wow
1: oh i mean at least i think a lot of them are like 20
2: 20 because they do those um and marvel does it too those um i think they call them like legendaries or something or like elites that are like the fancy like statuesque ones and those are ridiculous
0: yeah okay so luke harper
2: so anyway Uh, one of the most underutilized guys in modern WWE, I really love that glorious, like, three-week period where he had the Intercontinental title and could actually work singles matches.
0: Yeah, and he had such a good ladder match with Ziggler in that, too.
2: And, um, if you go way back in the day, one of the more underrated members of the Chikara roster for a long time...
0: Oh, that's right. He, but he was—he was totally serious, right?
2: Yeah, he was the—I think they called him the Big Rig. Um, Big Rig Brody Lee.
1: Yeah, yeah. Brody Lee. He did a lot of stuff in uh, Chikara.
2: And he was in Ring of Honor. I think he was with Age of the Fall
1: for a while. Yeah, I think he was.
2: I think he did Jersey All Pro stuff. He was—he was around a lot of places for a long time. Mm-hmm. But um, he's really underutilized. He's got um. Got a lot of good speed. If you want to see a guy do a suicide dive through the ropes, uh, he's your man.
0: He is. Eddie. He just, it bothers me so much that, like, early on, he's doing that yeah, 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 ring talk thing. And they told him to quit because it was getting over. It's like, isn't that the point? Is like, these guys are supposed to get over, right?
2: And um, when they, that, that um really awesome Elimination Chamber... Wyatt Family vs. Shield match. He is one of the highlights of that match. Oh, that
0: match was just so good. I loved watching that. Because, you know, I mean, that match is basically just... These two big factions just brawl with each other. And it's great. It, it, it feels like there's just this brutal collision.
2: It was... it That match going back, like... um. You can tell, like, especially WWE guys are, like, so produced and jaded. I'm talking about the announcers. Oh, yeah. But you could tell, like, Jerry Lawler and JBL were, like, super into that match.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that was such a good.
2: And he has a good look. He's not He's not as big as some guys in WWE, but there's a certain um, believability to him.
0: I'm going to steal a phrase that you guys used in a past uh, podcast episode. He looks very roughneck. And in doing so, it's totally believable that he would stand toe-to-toe with just about anybody.
2: He looks like the kind of person that would just bite your nose off to prove a point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. He He looks like the guy who not only will he find anyone, he
1: probably already has.
2: Yeah, he's
1: um. um I feel I'd, like he's slimmed down a bit with uh. Recently,
0: right? Yeah, I would say so. I don't know if he's slimmed down or if he's just wearing fitted
1: clothing now. No, I think he's not quite as he 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 was getting kind of like big there for a while, but he I think he's definitely slimmed down. But it it actually I think serves him well because he he still looks like a bruiser. Yeah, he looks a little more lean. Um. Kinda of looks more dangerous, but he he's still a big dude.
2: Yeah. And he's I think his best look is when he looks a little I miss when he like it was on the Indies and he wore jeans and like a wife beater and he was kinda like grimy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is why it looked basically. But um yeah. so his Lariat, he uses a discus lariat. Didn't he use like a power bomb on the indies?
2: He did the big boot a lot, but he did the um um, he did like the sit-out powerbomb. Okay, he—I mean—he's got a
0: great big boot. Um, but he did his discus lariat just looks
2: because you know
0: some people do a discus lariat and it looks contrived.
2: It's because they can't do the spin and have any force behind their – yeah. the actual clothesline. So it looks like they kind of did a dance and just kind of ran into the yeah. guy, I think. Harper,
0: Harper, his spin, like whenever he starts the spin into the discus portion, it doesn't start fast, but whenever he gets halfway through it, the speed picks up, and it just it looks so vicious. Yeah. I love it.
2: So I was going to throw a couple of names out here, quick su- succession, just because um, we've been going a little... Long into it, so I figured, you know, we could just throw some quick names out there sure. that are on our list. So I also have uh, Nigel McGinnis for his um, Tower of London. I think it was the Tower of London. I thought that was um, his,
0: his cutter from the top.
2: Uh, that
0: was I can't it was his rebound clothesline, right? Yeah
1: yeah, he, it uses. Was, he, yeah. yeah, he would kind of like throw himself into the ropes and then bounce off and then hit the lariat.
2: I could be calling it the wrong thing though. I also have um, Okada with the ripcord.
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off some Pro fans out there. You don't there, like it? I really I don't care. Okay, look, I know Larry, it's a big deal in Japan, but why is this it's it's a short arm clothesline that you do you do a pirouette on the other guy before you do
1: it it just doesn't work for me like I, it's the rainmaker i like his uh i like his finisher like a lot um because yeah, when he because he he's another one like when he does it he leans into it and it does look like devastating when he does it
2: and he's a he's a really big guy
1: Okay, Okada. Do you mean yeah. big as in like
2: he's deceptive.
1: Physically big?
2: He's yeah. He's big. Like when you look at like most of the guys in Japan, he's a pretty big dude. Yeah, or in New Japan at least. Uh, what are? His,
1: it's gonna sound really weird to ask us, but what are his measurements like?
2: <laughs> I I don't know.
1: Uh, hey, let me try and look this up real quick. Uh.
2: I know when he fought Suzuki last year, he towered over Suzuki.
0: Okay, let me let me let me add well, this Suzuki, to what I was saying.
1: Suzuki's not like a big dude.
2: No, he's like five
1: uh, oh, ten. So, so so Kazukata is a six foot three, which is a uh, pretty big in terms of height, and is two thirty six, so he's that's that's pretty
2: solid. Yeah, that's pretty... That's a pretty good size. I mean, when... I would say their average heavyweight's probably, like, in that six one, six two, 6'2", probably 220 to the 230 range.
0: I mean, that's about where Austin was. Yeah. So, look, it's a good lariat. It's just, as a finisher, I'm not buying what they're selling.
2: And then we also have Kenna Kavashi and the Burning Lariat... <laughs>
1: Which to me is tremendous. Like I would almost rate that. I'd rate it like just below Stan Hansen's lariat. It's kind of like my favorite lariat. I think. Yeah. Kobashi just. Kobashi made it look devastating.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm watching a clip of it right now. Like for for what it's worth, we were talking about the way that that Bray Wyatt does it. This is like a superlative version of what Bray Wyatt does, and it it looks nasty.
2: He had a lot. Of, I mean, well, he also had the burning hammer, which was like a Death Valley driver that just looked like you pretty much murdered the person. Yeah, wasn't
1: it like an inverted one? Yep. Yeah. yeah. That that's
2: because then, then you had you had all those. Um, Idiots on the indie scene for the next 10 years doing like really terrible ones that they had no business oh, doing. Oh, yeah. yeah. They would do yeah. that
1: into uh, light tubes or they would do a vertebraker, vertebrakers oh. into chairs. Oh. And they'd mm. do about uh, 10 of those a match.
0: Yeah. A like yeah. That, was,
1: that, that was the early 2000s. The yeah. Early it's, it's, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Burning Hammer to me is one of the most badass looking finishers I've ever seen. But part of me wishes that he had never started doing it so that other people couldn't try.
2: Well, the thing is, the thing is, too, with all those guys ripping that off, none of those guys are, well, no, Taway. Taui. Taway's the only one that actually came out of that okay, but Kabashi, like, pretty much had to retire early because of injuries. Uh, Mizawa got dropped on his head and died, and Kawada said, Screw this, I'm gonna go make ramen for a living. So
0: <laughs> I can't blame him. Uh, that's that seems like a reasonable reaction.
2: Whew. So So is there anyone is there anyone Else you guys can think of? Um
0: God, not really. I, I mean I guess when uh, was it Kerry Von Eric was in the WWF for a little while as a Texas tornado, he used a discus clothesline, but
2: that was a punch. Oh, it was a
0: discus punch. Oh, yeah, you're okay. Right. Never mind.
2: Yeah, because they they played off the fact that he was like um, a shot putter in college or God, something.
0: I wish they would do more stuff like that. But
2: Okay, that's what I miss about like um vintage Jr. Yeah, I know people bitch about that, but like him playing up guys like football careers and stuff was always
0: he would always find like something to add an air of legitimacy behind them.
2: That's what was cool about um the Varsity Club when they were a staple. Yeah, I mean they they played it up a little bit, but you know having like Steve Williams from Oklahoma and. Rotunda from Syracuse, like it was a cool little Nod to like Previous uh, Careers and stuff Mm -hmm.
0: Well Unless we can come up with any others I'm going to let that hang For a second Mm -hmm. And then What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and say That we've had a pretty good episode Of What a Maneuver On the Pit Podcast Network On the Four Corners Podcast tonight. So um, hopefully you all have enjoyed this this discussion. Um, we got a little further from the the maneuver itself in this discussion than we did with the power bomb, but that's okay. And uh, hopefully you all enjoy it. If you do, please leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. And with that being said, uh, the three of us here, we've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. And we'd like to say goodnight and thanks for joining us.